So I volunteered to speak today, and I didn't realize that we would spring forward this morning. So this morning I need my coffee, and that's why I apologize. I had to go down and get back, get it. It's also one of the reasons that my mind may not be as clear as it normally is, because many of you who know me know I do not like mornings. I am much more interested in evenings and afternoons. But no matter whether I am able to speak clearly or not, God's Word and the Holy Spirit should be working in each of our lives. So, today we're going to be talking out of Titus, chapter 2, starting in verse 15, and then moving into chapter 3, going through verse 3. And I've kind of broken this into two parts. Um, 2.15 is really an instruction for Titus. So, if you think about it, We've been reading all these things, how to set up elders, how to, how to get this church you know, kind of organized, how to do all these things you need to tell them, young men, you, you know, old, older men, young women, older women. And then last week, Sean brought us through a passage that really told us kind of the why we're doing all this. Christ is our example. We saw Christ do it. We should be doing likewise because we're constantly trying to work towards Christ. And then Paul takes a moment here and tells Titus, speak, exhort, um, reprove is the way that NASB does it, um, rebuke is how the King James says it, and don't let anybody t- say otherwise. You have this authority. So that's, that's chapter 2, verse 15. Then we move into chapter 3, and it goes back into a more broad sense. That broad sense is how we relate to each other in a broad... It's not a particular group, right? We've always been talking about groups, elders, older, younger, you know, all of those things. And now it's like the global idea, okay? So I I know when Phil gave out the outlines when we started, uh, he he called this uh, citizenship. And, And I actually think that's a good word for it because it's more of a global concept when we get into chapter three. I'm actually going to focus a lot on chapter 2, verse 15. I think there's a lot in there for us, as well as chapter 3, but I tried to balance my time, and I really had a lot on my heart about that first portion. So I kind of consider chapter 2, verse 15, the heart of how. How? How do we say these things? Have you ever had to correct somebody? Yeah. I've had people at work that I've had to set aside and explain that things weren't so great. And you know, there's two approaches. The first is a passive-aggressive approach where you don't say anything. You just give them frowny faces and tell them that they should change and then eventually they get in trouble from somebody else. Right? Or... You take direct action. And when I say direct action, I mean you don't get up in front of your entire team and say, this person is doing this horrible thing. No. You take that person aside and you talk to them. So I'm going to read 2.15 and just think about times where you may have had to correct a behavior or even encourage a better behavior. So uh, Titus 2.15, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. 
Let no one disregard you. And this first word I want to focus on is speak. Speak. We shouldn't be passive. Speaking is an active word. It's a verb. You do it. You speak. In this case, Paul is speaking through the written word. Titus would have been speaking through the verbal, verbalizing word of what Paul had sent to him. Speak it. Don't pretend that people know what they're supposed to do. Right? Let's, let's give an example. Um, I've been, I have about three examples on here. I don't know if I'll do all three. But the first one, something I didn't fully comprehend, but now I do as a parent, and I did not as a single, is that children don't know social norms inherently. It's not just inherently built in them. They know aspects of right and wrong, but not necessarily that, oh, we close our eyes before we pray, or we fold our hands so that we don't play with things, right? Um, in other cultures, you might lift your hands to the sky to pray, right? These are social norms. It's not wrong to lift your hands to the sky to pray to the Lord or to fold your hands. But generally here in the United States, we close our eyes, fold our hands, calm ourselves down, and then we pray. My kid doesn't know that. We have to teach him that and show that through example, right? So if you're trying to tell somebody the right way or to improve what's going on and you're, one, not modeling it, which is I know is not necessarily speak here, but as an active word, but also if you're not telling them, they don't know. You can't expect your children to understand what it is you want them to do unless you tell them what they should be doing. And actually, Paul does a great job of this. Think about all that we've read and listened to in chapter 1 and 2. What does he do? He gives a few negative examples, but in general, he's saying, do this, do this, do this. He's treating them and bringing them up to know what they should do. Not just constantly telling them what they shouldn't do. Think about it. There's a million ways I can mess up. There might only be three ways I can do it the right way. So if all I'm doing is messing up, and you're like, no, you weren't supposed to do it that way. No, you weren't supposed to do it. No, you weren't supposed to do it that way. I still don't know what I should do. I just know what I shouldn't, and then I mess up another way. And maybe, if I'm lucky, I get it the right way one time. And if I don't get positive reinforcement for that, I'm like, well, did I do it right, or did they just not notice? So, speak. When we talk about speaking... Think about all the things that we've done and that we should be thinking about how to positively move forward and actually tell what we should be doing. I know that's really hard because sometimes in our brains we're like, you should just know that. That's common sense. Well, guess what? Not everybody has common sense. I don't know if you realize that when you drive on the road. (laughs) But it's true. Not everybody has common sense. So that's one aspect of speaking. I think... The second thing I want to mention about speaking is something from my own life. So I was in a church where, and I don't want to say what church, I don't want to necessarily say what location, right? This is not about pointing that out. It's about me, and so that I can build the body up here about things to think about. I was in a church, and in that church they would sing a lot of choruses. And I actually have no problems with choruses in and of themselves. Okay, so don't don't get this like, oh, it's got to be him, it's got to be court. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. But one of the choruses that they sang, 
Ask God to break them. I spent two months reading through scripture to find any, any time God says that we should ever say that. You know how many I found? None. What does God say? He doesn't want us to get broken so that we turn. He wants us to turn right away. He wants immediate obedience. I stopped singing that song. The pastors of that church noticed I stopped singing when they brought that song up. I was passive. I should have been more active. Eventually, they did come to me, and they said, we noticed that when this particular song comes up, you stop singing. And they did it on the side. And I think they were wondering, is there something going on in your life, or you know, are you embarrassed, or, or what? I don't know what they were thinking. But they came to me, and that's when I finally had the opportunity to speak. Should I have waited? No. I probably shouldn't have, but it doesn't mean I should have gone in front of the whole congregation either and yelled out, ah, oh, this song is horrible. I, I told them in a calm and loving manner that I don't think the song is biblical. I don't see that. If you were praying that, God, please help me to be obedient and turn around immediately, I would completely agree with that song. Because scripture is full of that. God doesn't desire sacrifice. He desires obedience. We see that all the way through the Old Testament and into the New. So anyways, speaking, it's active. We have to do something when we speak. I have one other example, another church, where the pastor's message was technically accurate, but it was very surface level. And I was a little more active on that one. He, he actually did call me. I was going to talk to him anyways, but um, I was a visitor, and so he, he sent me something. And I was like, hey, your message was accurate. It had beautiful illustrations. But in the end, I don't actually understand what I was supposed to do with it. It, it was all surface. And I was like, you know, is, is there some way you could introduce some additional things? That pastor was not real impressed with me. <laughs> but you know what? Again, I was fairly gentle. And that's what I'm about to get into with speaking. But these are all times that are just on my heart now. Uh, Evan mentioned that sometimes the Holy Spirit brings things on your mind. The, the last two examples, two different churches I was at. Because I'm thinking of this church. This church full of people in Crete who are doing the things that they want to do. And Titus, kind of an outsider, coming in, fresh, brand new, is now telling them things the most excellent way, how to change, and they've got to respond to it. And how do they take it? He's got to be active voice. He's got to be telling them the positive direction that they should move. He can't be passive. He can't just sit around and wait for them to notice. And that's why I wanted to bring those examples up. Yes, God worked it out in the end, but how much longer did it take? How much more could the body have been edified sooner had I taken action sooner? Right? So, speak. The next thing I want to talk about, speak. Speak has a lot. I know, I'm, I'm just two words in. We're, we're still going here. But the next thing I actually want to talk about is out of Ephesians. So I'm going to jump. Um, if, you're, if you're reading along with me, I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, 
And I'm going to be looking at verses 11 through 15. And the part of the passage I want to get to is where we speak the truth in love. But before we get there, we have to understand what he's saying, because I think it directly applies to what we're trying to talk about with regards to building the body up. What Titus is trying to do and what Paul is trying to do is to build the body up. So in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11, so Christ himself uh, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of fullness of Christ. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. When we speak, why are we speaking? That's a big question. Some people just like to hear themselves talk. I used to be like that, because sometimes I still am. But we have to be careful about that. When we are speaking, we're trying to build the body up, bringing us to maturity. As we bring us to maturity, we can fight off all of the false teachers. Remember, Titus is dealing with false teachers. In chapter 1, we hear about false teachers. They're there. They're for personal gain. There's a lot of stuff he's got to deal with. There's a lot of falsehoods he's got to correct. He's, he's coming in with the authority of Scripture, but do the people necessarily want to hear? Yeah, I'm not sure. Definitely the false teachers don't want to hear. They want to, they want to keep their position. They want to keep what's going on. But he needs to speak the truth in love. How hard is that? When you're frustrated, people are arguing with you. That's not right. I don't believe that. Where does it say that in Scripture? Prove it to me. And, of course, he's going to do that, just as we should be able to do that. That's why God calls us to understand his word and to be able to speak his word. That's why people memorize verses, to be able to speak on demand if they need to. Timothy reminds us that all Scripture is inspired by God for teaching for uh, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And why is that? So that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work of service. So we need to know our scripture, and we also need to be presenting it in love, and we need to realize that people may not want to hear it. And even when they don't want to hear it, we still have to be presenting it in love. Because what's our ultimate goal? Our ultimate goal is not to point out to people how horrible they are. Because believe it or not, we're all sinners. All of us. Even the people you think are doing the bad things, you've done bad things too. So you can't look at them and be like, ha, you're worse than I am, you sinner. No, that's what the Pharisees did. What did Jesus tell them? Den of vipers, right? The bad yeast. No, that's not what we're supposed to be like. But it's so easy. It's so easy to compare ourselves and be like, I'm not, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm pretty good. And I, I can help you. 
But remember, you still got the plank in your own eye, even though there might be a speck in someone else's. So we have to be humble when we approach it, and we have to do it in love. Considering looking at 1 Corinthians, and I'm just going to summarize quickly. So, a lot of people love 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But I'd like to remind you there's a chapter before it called chapter 12. And in that chapter 12, there's a whole bunch of people arguing about what's the best gift. Oh, is it the gift of tongues? Is it this? Is it that? And Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. These gifts are not for bragging that you have gifts. What are they for? It's for building up the body. And at the end of chapter 12, what do you say? This is a most excellent way. Let me tell you a most excellent way. And then we work into all of the things about love. Paul's messages are consistent. You read Ephesians. You read the messages to Timothy. You read what we're reading today to Titus. You read Corinthians. All of it is about how do we build up the body in love. And we have to do that through our speaking. I never once said this was easy, but it is the way. Remember, Paul is telling us what to do. Do it with love. So then we have some other tough words that we move into. Exhort. How many people use the word exhort on a regular basis? No. I, I, I literally had to look it back up. I've heard the word before. I did this spiritual gifts thing in the past, and this was supposed to be one of my spiritual gifts like when I was a teenager, so I don't want to say how long ago that was, but it wasn't recent. And I was like, what? What, does, what, do, what do they mean by exhort? So um, Merriam-Webster says it, um, it's a transitive verb to incite by argument or advice, urge strongly. Uh, an example, exhorting voters to do the right thing. Um, it could also mean, intransitive, uh, it could be to give warning or advice. So you've got this concept of exhort in the English. I did look up uh, a Greek lexicon real quick. Um, it didn't really help me that much. It, it basically said the word translated exhort is uh, um, parakaleo, to call to or to exhort or to encourage. So... Same concept, right? Exhort is still in there. It, think about it this way. You've been going down this path. That's not the best path. Let's say you've been driving your car to work every day, and you decide that you're always going to take these back roads. And it takes you 30 minutes to get there. And somebody's like, oh, no, no, no. If you keep going that way, it just takes too long. Here's a faster route. Here's a better route. No, that's the way I've always driven. I, always, I like driving that way. Instead, you exhort them or you tell them, hey, we really, you know, if you drive this way, you can get there in 20 minutes. You can save gas, save money, save time. And eventually, you just keep going at it until the person understands and, and may choose to do what you're talking about. I'm not saying that it's necessarily completely wrong to drive 30 minutes. Now, this is just an example, Okay. In Scripture, does God tell us absolutely every nitpicky thing we need to do in our life? No. But he gives us the framework to do the right thing. And 
if you're working your way to be more and more like Christ, are you going to be able to change every part of your life all at once? No. You know, I, I don't know if you know this, Benjamin Franklin had this whole thing where he had a list, and he was always trying to work. He had like, I can't, I can't remember. I should have looked this example up a little better. Um, but he had a list of different, different attributes he thought should happen, and every day he tried to work on one. But the problem is, he might focus on one for a while, and then he found out that the other one wasn't as good anymore. Okay? We're human. I know that sounds funny. We're made in God's image, but we're not God. We have attributes of God, but we're in a fallen world. Adam ate that apple. Eve ate the apple, too. Well, here we are. So, we need to constantly work towards being more like Christ. And, speaking the truth in love, we are to exhort, encourage, use scripture, show the right way, build the body up, work in a better path every day. Can I do that? Every day is not so easy. I can try, but it's a constant reminder. Believe me, reading this has been a constant reminder. I think about my kids, right? I'm using my kids as an example here. My kids are really great, but some days they get a little excited, and I'm not that excited. And they start running around, and, you know, toys get damaged, things get thrown. Maybe my voice goes up a little bit, and it shouldn't, right? Is it easy to love and be gentle and calm? When something that you have, like maybe I, I left one of my items, I don't have a good example, and they decide that becomes their new toy, and then it gets broken in half, and I have to buy a new one. Is it easy for me? No. But should I be gentle and corrective? Yes. Should I tell them the better ways to play with their own toys? Yes. And this, similarly with, with the word. If we know our scripture, we're speaking the truth in love. We should be guiding people towards a most excellent way to love one another and build up the body with the ultimate goal of bringing us to spiritual maturity so that no matter where you are in life, when people try to tell you falsehoods, you know the truth and you can resist those temptations. Not simple, not simple. The last word in this, well, the last word I'm focusing on from a word study is, is reprove, or sometimes it's, it's the word that's used is um, to uh, revoke. So King James used to revoke. That's, the, that's what I grew up with, right? I heard this word revoke. I always thought it was, you know, you need to be super duper harsh and like, you're so far off the deep end. You're putting everybody in danger. I am going to confront you and tell you exactly what's going on, and you have to change your ways or you're out. That's what I think of with revoke. When you use the word reprove, it's a softer, you still are wrong. I'm still telling you you're wrong, but maybe I do it in a more gentle way. So I was actually confused by this word when I was doing when I was digging into it, because I was like, okay, is it more of the harsh side or is it more of the soft side? And the word that's used in Greek, and I'm trying to find it in my notes here, it's really more of the reprove than the revoke. 
And it's actually used to talk about what needs to be done for the false teachers. So it's a correction for the false teachers. If you look earlier in First Titus, or in Titus chapter 1, he actually uses the same word, specifically about dealing with the teachers. I'm not saying that you don't stand your ground. And I'm not saying you don't say truth. You have to say truth. And it should still be in love. And you need to confront those people if they're saying something that's absolutely wrong. Period. You, you can't not do that. But do you tell them to turn or burn? Are they going to listen to you? Maybe instead, you need to think about your approach. I even look at how Paul approaches things, right? In a lot of his letters, what does he do? Um, he, well, I'm actually thinking some of the Old Testament stuff, right? Where they start with, oh, all these people that you hate, Israel, they're all going to be, you know, they're all going to have this judgment on them. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 keep going, keep going, keep going. And then it's like, by the way, you're going to have judgment too. What? Me too? Right? You see that in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, right, you've got a lot of, a lot of uh, gentle introductions that then get into pretty harsh realities as well. And I'm sorry, I should have more verses for you there. I encourage you to read and prove me wrong. And if you can prove me wrong, you will have been better for it because you will have read all those verses. (laughs) But we have this idea of reprove. So through all of it, the key I want us to take away is how our heart should be when we're working through these steps. We should be giving active items for people to help with so they know what is better, if we know what's better. We should be humble because we're sinners too. We've fallen as well, and we may not know the best way. As a parent, I definitely didn't know the best way, still don't know the best way. Every child's different, and as a new parent, I was like, what am I doing? So you have to be humble and listen, especially to those who have more experience and more maturity than you do. And then you, in turn, can help those who are in need. We have to understand what our scripture says. God's told us a lot. We don't have to guess at the big items. And even on the small items, you don't really have to guess. Ask your heart. What does Paul say? Do you eat food sacrificed to idols, yes or no? There's a little bit of ambiguity there, right? We know there's only one real God. So if you don't know... You don't necessarily have to ask. But if you do ask, and it affects your conscience, don't do it. <laughs> right? So there's a little bit here and there. You've got a little of those, those little areas where, where God gives some, some freedom and guidance. But there's definitely things that we should never do. I can think of the Ten Commandments off the top of my head. Those are, those are pretty solid, right? We should never murder anybody. And I'll... I'll Etc., etc., right? I'm I'm just saying, we have a lot of clear guidance, and even where things get a little bit, you know, questioning, there's still guidance. Where is your heart? Are you trying to serve God, or are you trying to serve yourself with what you're doing? The next part is really about authority. So I've already mentioned the passage in Timothy. Scripture is authoritative. Even if you or I don't feel we have the authority to tell somebody something, like maybe we're on the outside, we're looking in, 
they, they don't know us very well, but you see something. If everybody agrees on Scripture, Scripture is the authority, regardless of what church you go into. If they say that this is God's word, and you use God's word to talk to them, there's authority in that, period. Period. That's hard, isn't it? Maybe we've been doing something in this. I don't have an example. Okay, so don't, 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 don't worry. But maybe we've been doing something in this church that we could be doing better with through Scripture. I don't know what that would be. Are we humble enough that if somebody walks through Scripture with us, we would accept it? It's hard. It's hard. We have some traditions. We have some things that are definitely set in stone based on what we've read in Scripture. But Scripture is the authority. And the last one is disregard. You know, we had a most excellent discussion in the chapel here a while ago. And, well, we had a lot of them. But there's one that comes to mind. The one that comes to mind, we had a panel, and we were talking about the whole church as a body, whether you're single or married, have kids, wherever you're at in your stage of life. And at that time, I had shared that when I was single, I had been in other churches. I've been in a lot of different churches, right? God has moved me all over the place. So sometimes I've been blessed by that and sometimes not as blessed by that. But as a single person... Sometimes I was looked at as like, well, you, you just don't understand. You don't understand. When you're married, you, you really you begin to learn what it is to, to submit yourself to, to your partner. And, and you're single. You, you've never dealt with that. So I, I, don't, I don't really think you can talk about that. Or do you really know how to raise kids? Do you, do you understand the human condition? Kids teach you the human condition really fast. I'm not sure you fully comprehend you know, what, what we're really like. It's very easy for someone to hear a message they may not like and then look at that person and say, well, you're not like me. You don't have my experiences. You don't have my background. Why should I listen to you? You haven't been what I've been through. And I felt that as a single person in the past. Not at every church, but at some. And here we have Titus, left behind by Paul, to, to work with these people. And he's explicitly telling them, let no one disregard you. Well, how do you not be disregarded? Oh, my goodness. I struggled with that, actually. How, how do you work through that? And I read some, some commentaries and this and that. I, the only thing I can come back to is the authority of Scripture. The authority of Scripture. Admittedly, Paul gave apostolic support for Titus, and he could fall back on that to some extent. But we don't have that today. Paul's not talking to me. He's not telling me, other than through Scripture itself, what to say. But I have Scripture. And I can stand on that authority. And if somebody tries to disregard me, regardless of my background, if I'm using Scripture... 
then I have that authority. Assuming I'm not abusing scripture, because there are people who like to take words in and out and change things a little bit here and there, right? You've got to take scripture as a whole. But that's the authority that I have, and I can make strong arguments in love to make sure that they understand and have heard the message. Now, if they continue to reject that message, regardless of all the strong documentation, the strong speaking, the going through the scripture, showing how it all links together, if they still say, I'm not going to listen to you, it's not that they've rejected me. It's they've rejected the word of the Lord. Let no one disregard you. Don't give up. Keep at it. But just like the apostles that were following Christ, they would go in, they would teach the word. If people didn't agree, they'd head out, shake the stand off their sandals, and keep moving on. Right? It's not that they rejected those disciples. It's that they rejected the Lord. But you still have to be willing to give that message. You still have to be willing to, to give it as much as you can until you know that it's just the hardness of their heart. That's for correction inside the church. So we get this word for Titus. He gets all of these things. He's told to move forward. And then we get a little bit more about citizenship. Sorry, I'm I'm hard transitioning here, right? 2.15 is kind of over now. Now we're kind of moving into chapter 3. Not kind of. We are moving into chapter 3. And we're getting more of the what-to-dos. Not necessarily how to do it, but the what to do's. So, um, chapter 3, verse 1 remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, uh, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Whew. Oh my goodness. That's a lot. When we vote for a president in this country and the one that we voted for isn't the one who got in, look at how much people put up a fuss already. He's already the president. He's put there by God, believe it or not. Do we listen? Think about Daniel. Right? Daniel was put under foreign leadership who did not believe and the one true God, at least at first, eventually one of them ate grass and then eventually stopped acting like a cow and realized that God was real. But before that happened, there's all these things. And, and actually, Daniel was there for multiple kings, too, as an advisor. He lived a godly life under an oppressive, non-believing, authoritative government. Did he always do everything that they asked? No. If it violated what God said, he followed God. But otherwise, if there was no conflict between what God's word said and what was going on, we don't hear him saying that he disobeyed. Can we do that? We like to think of ourselves as being incredibly independent in this country. Oh, I'm going to do it my way. My way is the way it's got to be. Can you be submissive? I don't know. I struggle with that sometimes. There's definitely a lot of people who have been put in authority over me that I did not like very much. 
And even though I didn't like them, this tells me I'm still supposed to listen. I'm still supposed to be obedient. Man, that's tough. That's tough. Especially, I've had, I've had some that I've worked for who are very focused on their own agenda and use people to get their own agenda. And do I really want to support that person? No. Am I supposed to be doing my job? Am I still supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to do? Yes. Will that make that person look good? Yeah. Do it. Right? I can't pick and choose. The only time I might put up resistance is if I believe it goes against what God says. Otherwise, I am supposed to be obedient. And part of me hates that. (laughs) I won't deny it. Part of me hates that. Especially if I disagree. It takes a lot of humility and a lot of humbleness. And I can't say I'm perfect. I wish I could. And then he reminds us in uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 3, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful in hating one another. We're no better than those leaders that we don't like. We're no better in our hearts. We all have sinned. And we all have fallen short of the glory of God. In that sense, we were all spiritually dead. We're all at that same playing field. It's only by God's grace that we're saved through faith. Not of our own works. Nothing I did. Nothing that makes me somehow better than everyone else around me. We all started from that position. And so, yeah, some of our leaders are fallen. Some of our leaders are disobedient, arrogant, hedonistic. How do we submit to that? Obviously, we have to be careful. Daniel continued to pray. Right? I'm using Daniel a lot just because I keep thinking about how bad the Babylonians were. I mean, the Assyrians weren't that great either, but we hear a lot about Daniel and, and the situation that he was in. And look at how many kings he served faithfully while also following God. Could I be like that under an oppressive regime? That's, I don't know. I don't know. I'm thankful I've never been put in that exact situation. But it does remind me that I need to pray for my current government. It does remind me that as they enact laws, I have the opportunity to be involved and that I can vote. But once the law is enacted, as long as it doesn't go against Scripture, should should I be disobedient? Should I rebel against it? And those are tough questions. Because we don't want to follow. We want to be leaders. We want what we want. And that's all part of citizenship. And this is a broad, broad item now, right? We're not talking about individual groups. We're talking about the big picture, us, church, 
Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Every good deed. How does that fit in there? I'm, I'm back on Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Sorry, I'm, I'm jumping around on you a little bit. How does every good deed fit into that? If you're not showing your ability to be humble, if you're not showing your ability to be submissive, just like Christ was submissive, he even paid taxes. Everybody hates taxes. He didn't even really, I mean, I mean, he pulled a coin out of a fish's mouth. It's kind of a unique way to pay taxes, but he did it, right? He did not try to overthrow the Roman government. They were an oppressive regime too. They even crucified him. And yet he submitted himself like a lamb to slaughter. You put yourself in a position of humbleness and obedience it puts yourself in a position where people take note and will listen. They may not like it, what you have to say, but they'll at least listen. The Pharisees heard Christ. Obviously, they kept coming back at him <laughs> to try to discredit him, but they heard him. Every good deed. All right. I think I've eaten up all of our time here. All that to say, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Are you willing to speak up when you see something? I had an example in here about appeasement from World War II. I totally skipped that. But are you appeasing people by just not saying something? Are you being willing to submit to the authorities that are over you? Whether it be the, the um, elders here? the chapel, or whether it be your, your authorities uh, government-wise, or to Christ himself, is he telling you something, and you keep saying, nah, I'll do it later. Do you know who Christ is? If you don't know who Christ is, talk to me. We'll have a good conversation. He was very humble, and I will do my best to try to be humble. <laughs> lot in there. Let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer, and, uh, and we'll dismiss. Dear God, man, there's a lot in just a few verses. I know all scripture is God-breathed, but sometimes it's hard to remember how much you put in just a few words. How can we be humble and loving and kind and corrective all at the same time? When we're hurt, how can we address the hurt and help those around us who hurt us? How can we see the person the way that you see them so that we can build up the body? We can resist temptations and false teachers. We can only do that through you, God. And you've given us your word and the Holy Spirit to help us understand. Please, Lord, Help us to make it a priority in our lives to understand this scripture, to love one another, and to build each other up. Father, help us to remember that in our communities, we can be both leaders and servants. I just pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen.